Hello and welcome back to My Pastor Says, the show that is all about you and your questions about God, the Bible, and life in general. I am your host, Dave Atherton. I'm the lead pastor at Aviator Church in Derby, Kansas, and I am honored that you are giving us your time today. If you'd like to have one of your questions answered on the show, please feel free to email me at dave at aviatorchurch.com, and I look forward to answering your questions on a future episode. As we begin today's episode, I would just like to start out by saying thank you so much uh, for downloading uh, and hopefully listening to our first episode, our introductory episode that we posted uh, earlier this week. Um, I was excited because as I read through a bunch of, of blog posts and articles about how to start a podcast and what to expect when you start a podcast, one of the consistent things that I saw uh, repeatedly was that you should plan on exactly no people listening to your first several episodes, and that was somewhat discouraging. Um, but I, uh, I experienced something different. Um, I had over 50 downloads. I think we're up to like 58 downloads on our first episode, which, you know, it's... It's just short of like, you know, the Joe Rogans of the world, but uh, it's still really exciting uh, to me because it means that some people were willing to give us a chance and also somehow, and I'm not exactly sure how or who to thank for this, but uh, somebody in Canada managed to find uh, the podcast, which means that we are, from our very first week, an international sensation, which is pretty impressive. So whoever you are in Canada, uh, thank you so much. That's really random and incredibly cool. So uh, today we're going to dive into our first actual question uh, that we're going to answer from one of you fine people. Uh, and it actually, as I, as I requested uh, questions to be submitted, um, I expected a lot of questions about the Bible which I didn't actually get too terribly many this first week. What I got was a lot of questions that had to do uh, with the nature of God himself. Um, and what I found was that those questions um, came into a bunch of categories, really. Uh, and, and so the question we're going to deal with today is actually one uh, that is uh, massively deep uh, and incredibly complicated. Um, and we're going to, to kind of jump in and do what I would call an elementary dive on this issue. And the reason that I picked this question as our first question is because a lot of the questions that came in about who God is uh, or the nature of God kind of stem out of the answer to this question. Uh, it was a question that came um, from Melissa, who is a friend of mine, um, and uh, essentially her question was, if Calvinism is true, then why do we pray for someone's salvation if it's already decided? Uh, the reason that that kind of leads into a lot of the other issues at hand is we got a lot of questions about suffering and why does God allow suffering or why is there pain or what is the purpose if God is all sovereign? And, and so a lot of these things kind of stem around um, this idea that this Calvinistic idea, which if you're not familiar with that, we'll get to in just a second, but this Calvinistic idea of, of God's sovereignty. Um, and so I think that as we understand that, we'll be in a better position moving forward to answer some of those um, additional questions. And so uh, today we are going to be dealing with Calvinism. Now, as I even say that, I can hear from my quiet studio down here in Derby, my wife's eyes rolling into the back of her head uh, because we went to a small Christian school. It's actually where we met uh, called Hannibal LaGrange College. I think it's now Hannibal LaGrange University. But at our college, there were a few 
majors that were a little bit more prominent. Uh, usually for uh, the girls at our school, education was a big one. But for the boys, a lot of our, our male students were Bible majors. It was a small Christian school that pumped out a whole lot of pastors and preachers. And my wife would get so annoyed because all of the Bible majors would sit around in the lobby of the student union and would debate things in the Bible. Uh, and honestly, a lot of the times they would they would debate things that didn't actually matter. But one of the big, hot hotly contested debates was debating this idea of Calvinism. Uh, and my wife decided that she would never, never would she date a Bible major because they were just so obnoxious in their desire to debate and to prove people wrong. And so she met me and, and I was just a, a lowly little criminal justice major, um, although I knew that that was because I was going to go into ministry and I was going to be focusing on youth ministry in particular, and there's a really good chance I wasn't going to make enough money to pay the bills, so I better have something to fall back on. So I actually, I lured her in by a promise of not having to deal with a, a pastor who likes to debate the finite points of the Bible, and then I hoodwinked her. So I know that she's sitting there listening right now thinking just how lucky she actually is. To really begin our conversation today, what we probably need to do first is we're going to define a few terms. Now, again, if you're somebody who has studied this topic in depth uh, prior to this particular podcast, then some of this will seem a little bit elementary, but I just want to go off and assume that not everybody here has a really good firm starting point on some of the words that we're going to walk through. And so I want to define a few terms. The first one is Calvinism itself. Uh, Calvinism is a is a religious belief system that was um, kind of pioneered by a guy named John Calvin. Um, and, and for our purposes today, as we look at salvation or the act of being saved, Calvinism speaks to the idea that salvation is an act of, of God's from beginning to end, uh, that there are things like predestination that God uh, predestined those who would be drawn to him, that there's an unconditional election, which means that that those people um, are unconditionally elect, that, that there's nothing they could do to, to resist God's call on their life, God's, God's love for them. Uh, but the flip of that obviously means that if there are some who are unconditionally elected, that there must be also those who are maybe unconditionally not elected. Uh, and so that's one of the, the big sticking points for arguments against Calvinism. Uh, and really, what is the root of the question that Melissa submitted today is that if, if Calvinism is true, then why would we still pray for someone's salvation if it's already decided? That God can't be wrong, and if he's already decided that these people will be saved and these people won't be saved, then there's really nothing that our prayer could do on their behalf. So stemming up from uh, frustrations over Calvinism, there was a guy named Jacobus Arminius, uh, and he pioneered the contrasting view to Calvinism, which is now affectionately known as Arminianism, that uh, his contention was that human action or inaction can determine your salvation, that God uh, had a desire that all people would come to salvation, but that some people would actually choose not to accept God's offer of salvation, and therefore they believe that human action uh, was able to, I guess some would argue, thwart or stop God's will uh, in his desire that all people would come to know him. When we're talking about sovereignty, that's the other word that we want to make sure that we're all starting with the same basic definition, and there are a lot of definitions for sovereignty out there. The way that I tend to, to break this down that is, I think, the most easy way to understand it is that sovereignty is 
the fact that God has the ability to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, wherever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it. That God is in complete control of all things all the time. So the real question uh, that we have to deal with today as it relates to salvation, as it relates to how somebody uh, is saved, is really, is God completely sovereign or does humanity have free will? Does humanity have the opportunity to deny God's draw on their life? So we will endeavor to answer those questions as exactly that, as two separate questions. The first question that we're going to look at is, is God sovereign? So when it comes to salvation, is God sovereign? Um, or honestly, in general, is God sovereign? And the uh, I'm going to go ahead and do a spoiler alert. Yes. Yes, he is. Uh, when we're talking about sovereign, we can see that in Scripture um, that God existed before all things. He created all things. He transcends all things. He knows all things. He can do all things. He owns all things. He rules over all things. This is the very definition, the very picture of sovereignty. Uh, and so as it relates to to salvation, God's sovereignty uh, manifests itself in a couple of interesting ways, and some of the verses that people who are hardcore Calvinists will point to come out of Romans chapter 9, and I'm just going to read it to you, starting in verse 14. It says, What then shall we say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, right? It's not dependent on us, but on God who has mercy. Skipping down to verse 19, it says this, So you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What is the molded to say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Now listen, as a pastor, I want to just make sure that this is very clear. There's a lot of stuff happening in Romans chapter 9, but it's really difficult to make the case that based on this passage, that God's sovereignty does not extend into salvation. The fact that Paul, when, when posing the question um, that, that he will be getting in verse 19, says, so you say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? He doesn't even speak to that. He just says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God, saying, do you really have the right to be asking the question of how God chooses to do things? See, I don't think that Paul is making an argument that that there is a discussion to be had. Paul is accepting the fact that God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he calls certain people to salvation. That is really hard for us to deal with as humanity, because we have to then deal with the fact that the the alternative to some degree must be true, that if there are those who are who are drawn to salvation, who are called by God, that there then are people who are not allowed to be drawn by God or who are not called by God. And that leads us to our second question. And the first question, obviously, was, is God sovereign? The second question, is man responsible for his own actions? And based on the idea of God's sovereignty, the obvious answer to this question, is man responsible for his own actions, should be no. But I'm going to go ahead and spoil this for you again. Is man responsible for his own actions? The answer is definitively yes. We see in the Bible multiple places um, where there is commands given or there is explanations provided about salvation, and it makes it very clear that in those um, commands or in those verses that man does play a role in this. When you look at the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples, or excuse me, one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples um, is one of the most famous passages in Scripture. In Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, you find the Great Commission. And Jesus says to his disciples as he's, you know, getting ready to ascend up into heaven, 
he, uh, he tells his disciples that now their job is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I shall be with you even until the ends of the earth, according to my sixth grade Bible drill Bible. The reality is, why would God, if everything is, is predetermined completely and that there is nothing to be done on our behalf in order to speak into this idea of salvation, then why... Would Jesus, why would God send people out in order to go and make disciples? In James 2, it talks about the fact that faith without deeds is dead, that the things that we do actually matter. In Romans chapter 10, which is right after the passage that we just read, speaking about this idea of God's sovereignty and salvation, it says in 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. There is some human interaction in this process of salvation that is necessary. This idea that we need to be able to confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, that we need to believe in our heart who Christ is and who the Bible says Christ is, it, it indicates that there is actually some level of human involvement. And so this leaves us at a bit of an impasse because is God sovereign and does his sovereignty extend to whether or not people can be saved? Of course it is. Of course God is sovereign. But is man also responsible for our own actions? And are we called to preach the gospel and to try to evangelize? Yes, of course we are. On the face, those two things seem to be standing at odds with one another. Uh, And this is where I want to tell you guys about something I learned when studying for this podcast today. I want to teach you a new word, and that new word is antinomy. An antinomy, as it is defined in the dictionary, is a contradiction between conclusions which seem equally logical, reasonable, or necessary. Um, And I've actually read a lot about this um, in the writings of J.I. Packer, and I was going to give you uh, a thing to Google if you have uh, time and want to do more reading on this on your own. Uh, It's an essay from J.I. Packer uh, that is called Divine Sovereignty and Human Responsibility, but he talks about this idea of antinomies in there, and, and he speaks to those, and he says this, an antinomy is an apparent incompatibility between two apparent truths. An antinomy exists when a pair of principles stand side by side, seemingly irreconcilable, yet both undeniable. There are good reasons for believing each of them. Each rests on clear and solid evidence, but it is a mystery to you how they can be squared with each other. You see that each must be true on its own, but you do not see how they can be true together. This is something that you see periodically in Scripture, but it's important to recognize you'll also see this in other areas of life. Uh, One such uh, example of an antinomy is when it comes to the study of light. And scientists have, have studied light, and what they have proved over time is that light is absolutely and undeniably, it's a wave. It's a light wave. Light acts as a wave. However, light is also an undeniably and empirically provably, it is also a particle. And so light is both a wave and a particle. And how you make sense of that is you don't make sense of that. There's no way of being able to justify or explain how it can be both of those things at the same time, how it has the properties of both of those things at the same time, and yet that is the case. An antinomy is something that is really frustrating for us Western minds uh, in general. When I say Western minds, what I mean is 
we in America like to have one thing be right and one thing be wrong. When you look at our political discourse right now, uh, it is so heated and it gets so incredibly ugly. And the reason is because we see one side is right and therefore the other side must be wrong and there is no middle ground. Um, I used to have a professor at seminary who uh, he was um, from Asia, and he talked about this a lot. He said that teaching Americans is difficult for him because we were in a theology class, and he would say we'd study theology, and the American student wants to know the answer or what I think the answer is. But he said a lot of times in my Eastern mindset, uh, as I'm studying things, I have no problem with there being multiple areas of truth, these antinomies, these things where I can say, yes, I believe this is true, and yes, this thing, which seems to be uh, in direct opposition to that, I believe is also true, and I believe they're both true. There's actually uh, a famous scene in the play uh, Fiddler on the Roof uh, where the main character, Tevye, is talking, and a bunch of the men are around town, and and there's this young uh, man who's jumping into the conversation, and they're talking about whether or not they should pay attention to the newspaper, and I promise this has a point. They're talking about whether or not they should pay attention to the newspaper and what's happening outside of their village, uh, and one of the older men says, oh, who cares what's happening outside in the outside? outside world. He says, why should I break my head about the outside world? Let the outside world break its own head. Uh, and, and the main character, Tevye, says, oh, you're right. And this, this young hotshot walks up and says, no, that's nonsense. We have to pay attention to the outside world. Uh, otherwise, how do we know things? How do we grow? Uh, and Tevye looks at him and he says, ah, you are right. And then there's another man in the conversation who points out to Tevye. He says, ah, but you said this guy is right and this guy is right. They can't both be right. And he looks at the third person and says, ah, you're right. <laughs> it's this idea that, that there is a, a possibility that multiple things that seem contradictory on the surface can both be true. And I think that when it comes to salvation, when it comes to this idea of Calvinism versus Arminianism, when it comes to this idea of God's sovereignty versus human responsibility, what I think we have undeniably is an antinomy. We have this fact that God is sovereign, that God does draw those to himself, um, and that God will decide whom he will have mercy on. And at the same exact time, I believe that there is an element to which humanity has to respond to that, to which we have been called to preach the gospel to those who maybe don't know it. And I don't know how to square those two things up in my own head. Although, candidly, I'm personally glad that I serve a God who I can't completely understand because otherwise God is made in my image and I am not that smart. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you, here's the answer to the question uh, of Calvinism versus Arminianism. Here's the answer to the question of of. God's sovereignty versus human responsibility? The answer is, I don't know the answer. I don't know how it all works out. I don't know how those two things combine together to make a simple truth. But what I do know in looking at Scripture is that both of those things do exist, and both of those things are correct. And so I'm going to give you uh, one last kind of parting thought here. Um, and this is, again, out of that same article, that same essay by J.A. Packer, or excuse me, J.I. Packer, um, that I would encourage you to look up and read on your own if you have time. But he talks about uh, what one should do then when dealing with an antinomy, with two things that seem like they can't both be true, but seem to be true. Um, the, and he gives, he gives five or six things, but I'm going to read you the first two. The first one is, accept it for what it is and learn to live with it, which is the most frustrating answer in the world, and I apologize. You know, basically, yeah, we don't know, so just 
deal with that. Uh, but honestly, sometimes it's what we have to do. Uh, and the second thing that he wrote is, you have to refuse to regard the apparent inconsistency as real. You have to put down the semblance of contradiction to the deficiency of your own understanding. Think of the two principles not as rival alternatives, but in some way that at present you do not grasp complementary to each other. And I love that line there. You have to uh, put down the semblance of contradiction to the deficiency of your own understanding. You have to recognize this, that yes, we do not understand how God's sovereignty and, and humans' free will or responsibility for actions play into one another but, but what we can do is accept that the fact that they appear to be a contradiction is obviously not the case. If you believe in God, if you call yourself a Christian, and you believe in the Scripture as being the inerrant Word of God, then what you have to be able to do is accept that there are things that are in God's economy that we cannot understand. The Bible tells us that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I am supremely confident that God is sovereign and his sovereignty extends to human salvation. I am also confident. I'm also incredibly confident as somebody who's devoted his life to preaching the gospel to people who need to hear the gospel, that we are called to preach because that gospel will not return back void. So, the reason of why do we continue to evangelize if Calvinism is true is because both Calvinism, you know, or the tenets of Calvinism, uh, you know, the, the idea of divine sovereignty is true, but so is the divine declaration of a need for evangelism. So we can operate in the truth that God has called us to do a thing, and that if you call yourself a Christian, that if you believe that you have been saved by the God of the universe, that you have a commission on your life. And that commission is, I am to preach the word of God to every corner of the globe that I come across. I hope that that answer doesn't come off uh, at all like a cop-out, because it really isn't one. Um, and hopefully maybe you learned something here today. Uh, if you completely disagree with me, I am perfectly happy to uh, respond to you back and forth, um, either by email or if you want to hit me on Facebook, that would be fine too. Uh, I certainly don't purport myself to be the expert of all things, just trying to give some sort of a biblical understanding to some of our tough issues. So thank you, Melissa, for your question, and for everyone else who has submitted questions as well, thank you so much. If you would like to have one of your questions answered on the show, again, you can email me at dave at aviatorchurch.com. Dot com. That's Dave at AviatorChurch.com. And just put in the subject line, my pastor says, uh, or you can always submit it uh, to me on Facebook as well. If you appreciate what we're trying to do here, uh, it would be awesome if you could rate and review us, uh, especially on the iTunes podcast. Um, and if you hate what we're doing and think it's really stupid, then keep your negative opinions to yourself. <laughs> so anyways, thank you guys again so much for being here, and I will see you again next week as we tackle our next question.